Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And as usual, this is our weekend show, Just Ask the Press. And joining me as always is editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and joining us today, uh, subbing in for Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, is current and bon vivant and, uh, uh, let's see, attorney extraordinaire when it comes to matters of FOIA and others, Mark Sage. So stick around. We'll have that in even more. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me once again is uh, a FOIA. Well, I guess that's the best way to to plug you, Mark, isn't it? For, uh, uh, FOIA uh, attorney extraordinary, do you like something else? I, uh, I, that's fine. National security attorney gives me a broader breadth yeah, that's, that's, of work that I actually do yeah. than does FOIA. Yeah, but the FOIA stuff saves my ass. So that's, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, uh, Michael Cohen likes to refer to you as his attorney. <laughs> this... Yes, yes, <laughs> Michael, I'm not your attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and also, editor-at-large from CQ Row called John Bennett. I know I got that one right. Let's start out with, uh, I, I guess where we start out, let, let's take a look at, at the Biden stuff. Let's go there first. There's a famous picture of him this week stretching while he's getting ready to ride his bicycle but in the uh, press briefing on friday it was kelly o'donnell a couple other people who uh mentioned that he repeated himself at a story at a fundraiser uh thereby throwing questions onto his uh his being able to i don't know be cogent be coherent and that comes as a latest nbc poll shows that a quarter of the country doesn't want him to run, and two-thirds of the country, when polled, doesn't want Donald Trump to run. I think they're both beyond their means when it comes to running for president, again, for various and sundry reasons. Uh, John, I'll give you the—I'll let you take a crack at this first, because it's—look, it's, it, to me, it, it when it comes to Biden, it still pisses me off that most of their problem is they don't put their guy out in front of the camera very much, and— that's kind of leading to the speculation that there's something wrong with him. Well, on the one hand, I hope that I'm able to stretch when I'm 80, much less ride a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, right. bike. Easy for me to say. So, um, so good for the president. He's still active. You know, they, they say that he gets up and, and still works out uh, most days. 
So that's good for someone his age. It's very good. But on the other hand, um, you know, he it's a stressful job and he looks like he's been president since um, uh, early 2021. It's just, you know, it's a stressful job. And like, you know, the phone rings at 3 a.m. and you got to go to the situation room. And um, and he yeah, again, he, he looks like he has been president for about two and a half years now. And he looks like he's 80. Um, they get defensive when reporters, they, they get too defensive. It's a really bad look uh, when reporters ask legitimate questions about this president's age. And when reporters ask legitimate questions about voters' legitimate concerns about this president's age. Excuse me. We've all had, you know, um, older loved ones or colleagues. And, you know, this is something that older folks do. You know, they forget that they told you something or they repeat themselves a lot. Um, I mean, Hell, I do that. <laughs> I, 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 we all do that. But, but Brian, you're not you're not the president of the United States. That's true. <laughs> so oh, my God. It is that, a that's, a, that's a nightmare scenario right there. That's yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that a big part of their problem is how defensive. I mean, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the president, the White House press secretary this week, um, early in the week was asked, uh, this was before uh, the the news that, that the president had repeated himself at a fundraiser even broke was asked about some polling uh, where, you know, the numbers went up the concerns with his age and she got very defensive. I didn't see, uh, I guess that was Friday's briefing. Uh, was yeah. doing other things. Um, but I understand uh, from what I picked up that it was the same thing. So I, and you know, it, it, they, they need to sit down in a room possibly with the president and the first lady and come up with some ways to talk about this, some better messaging. And this has been a problem. You know, yes, he's 80, but in 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 some ways, his staff makes it worse. I, but, that's my the way, point. Yeah, by the way they handle it. Um, but they just have to come up with a way um, to talk about it and explain it and 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 he's going to have to talk more about it. And and you know, the president says, "Well, people should watch me." Well, that's not that's not, I don't think that's a good enough answer. Oh, we don't even get a chance to. That's because we rarely see him. Right? He stands at the podium. He gives a speech, um, and then he walks back in, or he gets on the plane, or you know, he walks backstage, and then he gets in the beast, and they drive him to Air Force One, or he gives he gives a speech that he's passionate about, and he seems very engaged. Like Friday afternoon at three o'clock to talk about gun violence Friday at three o'clock. And it is an issue that he speaks passionately about, and he's good on that issue. And he's going to speak to democratic voters and he might fire up some folks in those six States that I talk about that are the ones that are really going to matter uh, next November. But it was Friday at three o'clock. I just, I just, I continue to be baffled by, by how they communicate. Well, let, let me mark but at the same time, <laughs> Donald Trump isn't that much younger. I mean, it it kind of seems to me like we're, you know it's I, I don't know. It, it, you're talking about two senior two people who are well into being senior citizens, right? It's not an age issue, which is what throws everybody off. It's it's uh, an, an issue with respect to cognitive ability uh, more than anything else. Now, from a legal standpoint, they're you know, the only requirement in the Constitution is that you be 35 years old, which, right. of course, when it was written, you were at 
clear the the end of your life for the most you were in middle age at 35 when that when that was written in the 1770s but the the issue we all have family members friends and colleagues as john said where you know we know they're in their 80s and their 90s and they are sharp as attack or they repeat themselves like we do when we're just in our 50s and 60s because it just happens as people age uh there is a Push. You know what also happens is people age you repeat yourself. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Let me try to remember. Or, or you stumble where I couldn't remember to say the word cognitive, even yeah. though it was in my head two seconds earlier, and <laughs> yeah. I, and it just went out of it. The there is pending. Uh, I think they've already put it in as legislation. Uh, I'm sure it's been tried before, uh, but we've heard about it more because of the Biden situation. To uh, either try and restrict the the age at which someone can be president, which is far less likely to occur, or perhaps to have some sort of mental health testing that is done, which is something more feasible, but probably also just certainly not in this Congress, uh, just doesn't make any sense because they can't get their act together and we're, the Congress is going to, the government's going to be shutting down anyway, because yeah. they, they, they can't get their act together. But there is a real concern. I think, you know, anyone who, you know, unless you're a complete ideologue who just is blinded, you you can't say, having watched Joe Biden over the last five plus decades, that he's not the same person that he was even just a few years ago. He's had a cognitive decline. That doesn't mean he can't function in the position. That doesn't mean he's not making uh, good judgment and decisions, uh, but it, it it does have an impact and it's a factor to consider when you're going to vote for someone for president of the United States for yet another four-year term, of which he'll be, what, like 85, 86 or something, whenever his birthday is. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's a legitimate question that we need to grapple with in, in this country. And it's unfortunately coming up at a time where the choices are, you know, someone who's suffering co potentially cognitive decline against someone who wants to impose a dictatorship, authoritarian uh, regime in our country so uh, and they also choice... be suffering cognitive decline. and who also made so that that's not too difficult a choice to make i think for some of us <laughs> well that's where i take i think it's more fear of what's on the other side it's a fear that i i could have uh, a guy who's maybe suffered some cognitive decline but understands the basics of our government versus a guy who's got a lot of cognitive, obvious cognitive decline and wants to, you know, uh, put people on trains and ship them out of the country. I, well, uh, that's, that's, it's the reality is, and people outside the beltway who haven't been in the federal government probably don't understand this as much of how significant a role staff plays. Mm. And especially in the Senate and the House, where you see this with Senator Feinstein now, uh, maybe to some extent to Fetterman, he's in a little bit different situation. Senator McConnell back in the day uh, with, uh, oh, see, I just, I've, the Senator from West Virginia, Senator Byrd, uh, and the Senator from North or South Carolina, uh, Strom, Thurmond. Uh, Strom Thurmond, who yeah. was gone at the end of gone That's totally senator, gone. senator cochran recently was was gone yeah. yeah so and their staff their chiefs of staff became the de facto senator or member of congress that's right and the thing is i have full i i am full confident in the professionalism 
of those surrounding Biden. Uh, those who were generally surrounding Trump in the first administration, many of whom have been my clients, professional career people, maybe just more conservative than some, uh, but professionals and confident and competent. Uh, a second Trump administration, not so. Yeah, that's no, that's that's that would be that would be something to look at. I I still don't believe we'll be on the ballot, but that's still me. So, yeah, no, we'll see. I we'll see. Yeah. yeah we'll so, see. so, and I, I want to take this uh, discussion and 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 kind of um, <laughs> kind of well. Uh, Ditch it. No, I want to take it and kind of and kind of uh, turn it a little bit. We were talking about Congress, and you know, this week we're staring at, we're still staring at an imminent shutdown, and um, we're moving really close to it. And it doesn't look like there's any way out of it. Um, that's John. You've covered it, and uh, you've been there. Uh, I've been there during some of these discussions, and it looks like there's simply no way in hell. They're going to avoid a government shutdown. And to your point, there have been several articles out. Uh, we discussed this, you know, in, in the rundown before we started. It looks like Matt Gates is the de facto <laughs> Speaker of the House, which is frightening on so many levels. Wow. When you put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> For, you know, when you, you step back and you, you look at all this stuff together, um, I may be having a moment of cognitive decline. Now, bear with me. Uh, you look at the, you know, the the choices for president, and and then the situation in the House right now, and what's about to happen next weekend, and um, you know, it, it's just it's all it's depressing. There's no other way to to really put it. Um, the government, as of right now, as we record this on Sunday morning, uh, the the government will shut down next weekend because. Um, you know, this this faction of it changes every day. Five to ten House conservatives um, are are going to force it pretty much. You're going to have five to ten people shut down the federal government, which, you know, in, in the past, what's different here is is Speaker McCarthy. Excuse me. Speaker McCarthy wants to hold on to his speakership and. He allowed, as as part of the deal to get the votes to become speaker in January, uh, he allowed a rule change where one member, instead of, you know, it was more than one, a lot more than one, to trigger a motion on the floor to vacate the speakership. Now, it, does anyone else in the House have the 217 votes? Because there is one resignation. So it's it's 217, I believe, not 218. No, no, no one's close. <laughs> um, you know, Hakeem Jeffries will get all the Democrats, uh, but he's not going to get all the way there anyway. So if they say now that no, would be interesting, <laughs> if the moderate, no, do, do you see, do you think that any moderate Republicans would jump ship and vote for Jeffries? No, I think that would that would that would be suicide, because what would happen is uh, the party would cut them off funding wise for their campaign for their reelects next year. There you so. Go. Uh, you can't really do that. Uh, some will some be tempted? Will they talk to reporters on background as they get frustrated if we get to that point on the 22nd speaker ballot on the floor? Why do you think uh, I asked the question? They, yeah, they've <laughs> yeah. been there for three days. Yeah, yeah, they will say that. They will they, say they that. already they are. <laughs> they already are. Um, so McCarthy, you know, they say no continuing resolution, which is a temporary spending bill at last year's levels 
for 30 days, 90 days, 60 days, just to keep the government functioning and funded. Uh, and the conservatives say uh, no to that, and they'll 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 push the motion to vacate because those are um, last year's appropriations. The the Democrats were still in control of the House, and of course they they were in control of the Senate. And they had the White House, so um, they call those you know those are far left spending bills with COVID money and Ukraine aid and a lot of stuff that conservatives don't like. So they don't want to just keep that going for thirty days while they talk about um, full year appropriations. So McCarthy's really in a bind here. And some of the same conservatives who say no temporary spending bill, they're voting down rules on the floor for bills that they support. So McCarthy's trying to, to, to move some of these bills. They're going to tee up four um, um, kind of single issue or, or single federal agency like the State Department uh, Appropriations Bill is one of the four he's teeing up. The conservatives have asked him to tee these up, to try to start moving them, uh, and then conference with the Senate, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of process. But the same conservatives will likely vote down the rule for the four-bill package, and who knows what they might come up with, probably because they're bundled together the way McCarthy wants to do it, but that's just a matter of expediency. Um, they'll probably object to bundling them and vote down the rule and, you know, the House will, ha will have wasted two more days and then he'll put the defense bill back. And they'll vote that rule down. And yeah, they've done so that twice already. They have figured out how to use. I'm not I'm not going to say manipulate because they're being effective. They they think they're being effective. They've learned how the rules work. They've learned how the institution works. They've learned how to turn the lights off. They've learned how to mess with McCarthy. They've learned how to jam up the floor. But they haven't and, learned how to pass legislation. And right now, American unless people. right. Right. That, but that, Brian, they're not here to pass legislation. Yeah, that's true. They're but, literally here to burn it down. But that and that begs the question, Mark, it, that's a, isn't that a, that's a huge, huge concern for national security. Oh, it's a nightmare. But but look what's been happening in the Senate with Senator Tuberville blocking until just this last week, where finally a number of senior flag officers were finally passed uh, and confirmed into their positions, one senator was stopping the hundreds of military officers and pay raises for all military for, what, like a year plus, whatever it was. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. The system is incredibly broken. And now on McCarthy, I mean, who couldn't have predicted that that change to the speakership uh, ability for one member, you know, just given Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Green. I mean, come on, you were all everybody were all sitting there watching all those ballots going, you know, this is not going to end. This is going to happen yeah. at some point in time. You know, this is just a temporary stopgap measure for McCarthy to just at least have his name on the rolls because he's not going to be there for the entire term of the uh, of this administration as a result. I mean, this is it's a travesty. And the notion that you even had some moderate Republicans, whatever that means nowadays, like right. Nancy Mace down in South Carolina, who said, you know, it might not be, I'm paraphrasing, but she said something to the effect of, it might not be a bad thing to have a shutdown because those federal workers could take some time off. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking? Are you serious? <laughs> and of course, yeah, she's serious. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was. Yeah. 
Former President Trump, of course, is publicly stating that there should be a shutdown. Shut down the government. I mean, what government? Well, what he doesn't want to be prosecuted. Right yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the federal cases stop in, in that. But the, the notion, I mean, we are still, I was talking to some former cabinet officers recently, the notion of we are still in the upside down world. In, I mean, the stranger things upside down world makes more sense than what we're seeing today in U.S. politics. That that's frightening to me. But but John, here's my question: Is there a way out of the madness? I I I don't know that I, I the idea that if it sh shuts down, it's going to be good for the Republican Party. I mean, there are those Republicans who believe that that this will be great for the Republican Party if there's a shutdown, and then but. You know, the reality is it's that's going to just throw the whole damn country into turmoil. Well, if they're making more of a, a, I think, a personal political calculation, if you're in a if you're in a safe MAGA district down south or, you know, in the Midwest or the Mountain West or the Southwest, then then it's you probably think it's pretty good for you to shut down the government and you're probably going to raise a lot of money for your reelection campaign. So, you know, for Matt Gates, who incredibly believes that he could be governor of florida and by the way if 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 they if if the polling that he or the people working with him to look at a, a governor run um didn't say it was possible he would not be leaking it that he was thinking about it so the people of florida at least republican voters are interested in matt gates maybe being their governor i'll let everybody ponder that for a moment um, <laughs> well, is that, but there I is mean, a way out but think of who their there, governor is right now That's, there I, is a way out there are 217 votes there are probably 300 votes in the house to pass a, a stopgap funding bill this week and send it to the senate the president signs it and you know by by them by themselves some time to keep talking about four-year appropriations oh yeah that's the way is is mccarthy gets with the other leaders schumer mcconnell and jeffries and they they work something out and you know relatively clean probably some ukraine money disaster money for hurricanes and wildfires and you know everybody passes it and they still get to go home on thursday afternoon so yeah this could be done monday or tuesday but McCarthy can't use Democratic votes. That's the trap. If he uses Democratic votes, they'll move to vacate the speakership and kick him out of the only job he's ever wanted was Speaker of the House. So that's it. His ambition versus what they feel is their righteousness here, they're, they're anti-spending, they're anti-domestic programs, they're anti-Ukraine aid, no more COVID money. They, they 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 feel righteous on this. They think they're right. And he wants to stay in his dream job. And I don't know how you negotiate around that. And by the way, the conservatives now, as I wrote in my weekly column at rollcall.com, um, <laughs> it's also on my Twitter. Yeah. How do you negotiate now? The conservatives are kind of at war with themselves. That that faction has splintered. How do you negotiate with that? It's just there's who's at the table and who do they speak for? I this there. I don't know. Once it shuts down, how do you reopen it? Right, that's a good question. And I, we'll, I, we'll, we'll let everybody think about that as we go to a break. And then when we come back, we have a lot more to unpack. So stick around. We'll be right back.
Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Kerr, with our usual weekend review, Just Ask the Press. And we started out talking about, oh, so many wonderful things in Congress. So let's move over to the latest from Cassidy Hutchinson. um, I I guess the latest, actually, Cassidy Hutchinson accused uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani of of inappropriate behavior. And if anybody ever saw the second Barat movie, you you know, understand that that's probably not too far from reality. But I guess we'll start with, <laughs> I. this is what I couldn't believe. This is <clears throat> Peter Navarro, who posted on X, Twitter, multiple times. It's, he accused of Cassidy, he accused Cassidy Hutchinson, Alyssa Farah, Stephanie Grisham, Kaylee McEnany, Olivia Troy, uh, he said they all threw mud at Donald Trump and accused them of being pimp ladies who give real MAGA women a bad name. That's Mark. Is that a lawsuit waiting to happen? Uh, I don't think Navarro has any money. Uh, he's still paying his legal fees from his criminal prosecution. So sometimes, you know, you can't get blood from a stone. You know, it, it is the continuing battle we see where if you if you don't go along with the team 150 ways out of 100 then you're an enemy uh which is why ronald reagan's old statement about someone who agrees with me 80 percent of the time is you know a friend not an enemy uh always resonates with me uh you know reasonable minds can disagree but not in today's gop that kind of almost rhymes. It could be a song, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I, I represent Olivia Troy, and I know some of the others on that list. I don't get along with some of the ones on on that list, which is kind of interesting because some of those people, like Kaylee McEnany, was obviously the most diehard Trump supporter that there was. Uh, but if they ever say anything somewhat contrary to the great Orange leader, then they are deemed an an enemy and. The GOP in particular, it's interesting you, you ask about whether they have a grounds for, for suing Navarro. No, it's not, not going to be worth it uh, for sure. Uh, and they're all public figures, so that makes the standard more difficult to be able to meet from a malice standpoint, right. uh, although it seems pretty malicious. But the reality, yeah. reality is it's the GOP MAGA that are using litigation as a weapon against anyone who they believe is not going along with the ride Um, numerous lawsuits uh, many of which people don't know about uh, because they're not worthy of getting any press attention uh, but they are filing them time and time again Uh, i saw just another another two just filed within the last two weeks uh, both by the law firm of jesse banal who i am litigating against in a number of cases 
He represents Donald Trump in the civil cases for January 6th, uh, where I represent Officer Sicknick's estate. He's representing Rick Grinnell, the former ambassador to Germany, acting director of national intelligence, where he sued Olivia Troy. Uh, he's He was representing this Libyan warlord that I'm suing, uh, who's murdered countless people in Libya, and he was a CIA asset and lived in Northern Virginia for decades. Uh, and the lawyer who was representing former Congressman Devin Nunes and a bunch of others uh, had a stroke, uh, unfortunately, sadly for him. Uh, and this firm, Banal's firm, has now taken over all these cases. Uh, they represent Cash Patel. Uh, so he filed a new uh, lawsuit against the U.S. government. They're representing Stefan Pasatino, who was Cassidy Hutchinson's lawyer until she fired him in the January 6th case. He's suing Andrew Weissman for a tweet or X, whatever the heck they're called now, uh, <laughs> about it. And these are mostly lawsuits that go absolutely nowhere. And they are either dismissed on their own voluntarily or they are kicked out. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a drain, right? It, it is mentally a drain to be sued. It is financially a drain to be sued. Uh, it is a strategic weapon that they have been using somewhat successfully for the limited purpose that it is. But it is a dangerous one. And I really hope some of these lawyers, especially having read their complaints, uh, which I, I find to be very poorly written and not well grounded in law. I hope the court starts sanctioning them, uh, just as the, the judge in New York threatened Trump's lawyers in the civil attorney general case uh, by saying, you're giving me arguments multiple times that I, I laughed at the first time because I thought it was a joke. And if you do it again, uh, I'm going to sanction you. Do you, th you think that the, the gag, well, you know he won't be gagged even if there is a gag order but do you think how 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 serious is that against donald right so in the january 6th case in dc the the prosecutors in the special counsel's office have asked for effectively a gag order against donald trump now i think they purposely asked for far more than they know they'll ever receive because right. that's a, str a strategic tactic to try and get something less. But the reality is Donald Trump is going out on Truth Social and elsewhere, making inflammatory, very dangerous comments regarding the judge, the prosecutors, anyone else who he doesn't like that has the possibility, and I've experienced this myself, of stirring up. Uh, violence against these individuals uh, with either death threats, which is, I'm telling you, no fun to receive uh, for sure. Uh, or maybe they've done that. <laughs> yeah, maybe even real action. You know, already there's been some people, at least one indicted for threatening the judge uh, and leaving really vile messages on her her voicemail. Uh, apparently it was someone who's very al has alcohol or drug problems. So it wasn't a serious threat, but you don't know that when these come in. So the cases or that motion is being briefed right now. It is complicated uh, because of First Amendment rights and the fact that the former president is running for president uh, again, obviously. Uh, but judges all the time impose gag orders on us as uh, on the defendants, the plaintiffs, the defend, uh, whether it's civil or criminal, 
uh, or on the lawyers. And sometimes it's uh, it's clear. Other times, uh, as I've experienced, the judge basically makes it known that they want us to stop talking uh, to the press uh, outside the courtroom, outside the pleadings, and you have to make a conscious decision. Do you want to push the envelope on that or not? Uh, most of us choose not to because it's not going to help us or our clients. But I do think there's going to be some additional limitations imposed on President Trump. Uh, now, the problem will be, is that going to have any remedy if he crosses the line again? Because what's going to happen? He could be fined or he could be held in contempt and jailed. And how's that going to look? Yeah. So, <laughs> we'll see. Do, do you think anything will shut him up, John? <laughs> no. <laughs> are, are you sure you you seem definitive on that <laughs> you know ice cube once uh rapped that everything i say ends in a period and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna leave it at no i don't know no, no? Yeah. so what no. do you think of cassidy hutchinson's accusations against rudy and the fact that peter navarro called her one of the pimp ladies of the white house I'm not going to address Mr. Navarro's comment at all. I'm not, I'm just going to skip it. Um, I, and, and with Ms. Hutchinson and uh, America's former mayor, um, I wasn't there. Uh, I don't know what happened. It's a serious allegation that should be taken seriously. Um, you know, these are things that do come out when, when people write books and, you know, you, you do have to put some stuff in there that you might not want to, or not, um, not good memories. Uh, that's how you. That's how you move books. So you know, she's well, telling her. She's telling her story, and uh, we we do know that Mr. Giuliani has, I think, pretty clearly been under the influence of something uh, when he's been in public, or uh, even sometimes on his radio show. When I've heard clips, uh, he seems to um, to to not be a hundred percent sober. Yeah, without substances. Um, and, 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 you know, alcohol can, can, can make you uh, do things that you normally wouldn't. Uh, so it's a serious accusation. Um, and, you know, everybody's going to have to make up their own mind about what they think happened. Uh, but again, I wasn't there. Well, let's move on to the other, uh, unfolding drama this week, New Jersey governor, Phil Murphy and, uh, well, other top Garden State Democrats and, and even one member of Congress is uh, calling on Senator Bob Menendez to resign after he was uh, indicted on federal bribery charges. This isn't his first rodeo when it comes to bribery charges, and he said he's not going anywhere. John, you and I have both spoken to this guy. <laughs> Nothing surprises me here. <laughs> no, I've talked to uh, Senator Menendez, uh, now former Chairman Menendez, for a second time, and I can't think of another member that I've ever covered who has had to step down as the top Democrat on on a, a pretty high profile committee, the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate, twice. Now he was ranking member uh, the first time he stepped aside. Republicans controlled the Senate at that time. This time he was the chairman. That is uh, that is not a small committee. That's one that you know they deal with all kinds of, of foreign issues and war and diplomacy and Ukraine aid. And, um, and, you know, so he's always been a very busy Senator. Uh, you know, I talked to him as we hurry down the hallways in the Dirksen office building and he's always doing something and he's always got something to go do. And now 
if you believe federal prosecutors, we know a little bit more about what he might have been rushing to do or or to get on the phone with someone or, you know. Well, to recap, they found nearly $500,000 in cash when they searched his home, plus several, wait for it, gold bars. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and it, incredibly, in the indictment document are pictures and some of the cash that they found in his home were in uh, official Senate jackets, you know, with the seal of the Senate and and his name uh, <laughs> right there. Um, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I've never hid $500,000 in in my residence but i guess the calculation would be all oh, they'll never look there <laughs> well guess what they look there and they found it um and they also have these things called dogs and i don't know if the senator knows but their noses are very powerful and they get trained with reinforcement to sniff out things like you know cash uh, <laughs> so that was um maybe but you know why do you have that kind of money stashed in your house you know, most of us, if we're doing business deals, legitimate or otherwise, maybe a little bit questionable, you know, you usually put those in the bank, you maybe invested or something. Um, so Bury it in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony Soprano, he, he put it in what Tony put it in the ceiling tiles. And yeah. He had, he had it out back, I think, like in a storage box outside yeah, by that's... the pool. And I think he did bury some of it by the fence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, t right there, just watch some Sopranos and come up with some ideas. This wasn't very creative. Um, but why did he have all that money? Well, if you read the indictment document, it alleges that the senator took bribes um, on behalf of Egypt and and business associates and um, with a shovel. He took bribes. That's it, so it, it and that's a very serious allegation, because, again, as 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 chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, you know, he controls. Uh, a major bill, the State Department authorization bill, that's a big bill. That's a big deal when they do it. Um, and it takes a long time to write. And he has the pen as the chairman. There's a little thing called the chairman's mark. That's yeah. because he's, he writes the first version of it and he sees it last before, you know, the committee votes on it. You can slip in a provision, you know, before the final vote. And if nobody catches it, you know, and, and you've taken money. So if he slips, if he slipped in a provision about Egypt, something the Egyptians wanted the U.S. government to do, a change of policy, a small shift, what have you, um, that's 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 a federal crime, especially if he took money. So um, Senator Menendez is it, it seems like he's in pretty big trouble here. And interestingly, unlike last time, um, some prominent uh, Democratic politicians including the governor, Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Uh, several House members uh, have called for him to resign from the Senate. He stepped aside from all his committee assignments and, and that chairmanship temporarily, but they want him to, to resign wow. from the Senate altogether. We have not heard yet. Um, we haven't heard uh, Chuck Schumer, the, the Democratic leader. Uh, Richard Durbin, Dick Durbin was on. He's the number two Democrat, was on one of the Sunday shows. He didn't, he didn't call for Senator Menendez to resign. And uh, one to watch here is Cory Booker. He's the junior senator from New Jersey. He considers Menendez a friend and his mentor. Uh, if if Cory Booker comes out and says it's time, uh, Bob, to go, I think the pressure will will finally get to him. But Menendez, as as recently as Saturday afternoon, said, quote, I'm not going anywhere. So 
this is this is something to watch. But I think uh, Senator Except Booker maybe in the cell next to uh, to <laughs> Trump. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he could be national security advisor. Yeah, there you go. Well, Mark, I guess the question is, as I look at it, one of the things that stands out, and and John, you you and I both know from covering this, but it it strikes me that. Um, He's saying he's not going to go anywhere. However, there are members of his own party saying he should. You would not find that happening in the GOP. No, you don't. And actually, some of the calls of the Democrats to call for his stepping down uh, also have been raising the uh, past case of Senator Al Franken, yeah. who of course resigned after, and I think in a ridiculous situation to be perfectly candid, um, where his own party turned against him because it was at the height of Me Too uh, and for something that he should have been able to survive uh, and certainly was very apologetic about and happened before he was even senator. Uh, and as a comedian, which is what his profession was beforehand, he ends up uh, resigning and uh, and he was a uh, you know an up and coming senator in that and some of the and it's more of hypocrisy issue of like if you called for him to resign uh, why aren't you calling for Menendez to resign I mean someone right. who if you look at the evidence is going to have as you guys outlined a very difficult time of trying to explain where all these gold bars came from, you know, reminiscent of, I remember when Congressman Jefferson was arrested about 15 years ago and he had $90,000 of cash in his freezer. I mean, there are certain <laughs> things where factually, when you have, you, you just, you either have a damn good explanation <laughs> that is so solid as to why you did it, right. that eviscerates any criminal liability or, you're in a lot of trouble because normal people don't do that <laughs> or have that or act that way. <laughs> so we shall see. I mean, Menendez is, is very tough uh, and stubborn. So, yeah. uh, but legally speaking, and there's no requirement that he have to resign. So we'll see as John laid out, you know, what kind of pressure particularly comes from Senator Booker, uh, and and the majority Senator Schumer, the majority leader, or maybe even President uh, Biden. We'll see. Now, look, you you know about ninety thousand dollars cash in a in a refrigerator or in a freezer. This guy had four, nearly five hundred thousand dollars in his home, plus the gold. That's at at some point in time. I mean. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta bat an eye about Braille at that, don't you, John? I mean, is it yeah. I, I mean you've talked to more people on the Senate and the House floor in the last few days than I have, but my sources are all going, well, this this shit's serious. Yeah, I th I think this is very different. Um, you know, last time the, the Senate Ethics Committee looked into uh, the the last set of allegations and you know, they didn't they didn't come down on on Senator Menendez, even Republicans last time. I, I was I was struck, you know, yeah. covering the Senate back then. Even Republican senators who didn't agree on the issues with Senator Menendez really at all uh, backed him and said that he had done nothing wrong. I, this the the just the circumstances and the allegations and the evidence and the pictures of of everything. I think this will be different. 
Um, you know, Republicans already say that Menendez should go. So it's already different than it was last time. But, you know, he's also on the finance and the banking uh, committees. So you think, you know, the Senate hasn't done much legislating, but now Democrats lose a vote on all three of those committees. And you think they did. You, th you think those committees weren't doing much of anything before. Now, I don't know they if they do anything. Move, I don't know if they can move legislation. Even until... and, and to refresh everyone's uh, memory, if, or if you don't know, even if he steps down and there's a Democrat appointed uh, to take the remainder of his uh, term, they won't necessarily end up on those same committees. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah it'll be a, yeah, it'll be a shakeup. So people move around and, um, you know, senior the Senate rules. I I can't fully explain them because I don't fully understand them all the time, but they don't either. I, so don't worry about it. <laughs> seniority is a big thing and you can trade seniority on one committee to get on another committee. And right. it's Lindsey Graham uh, over the years has always, I guess, impressed me at his ability to, to use his seniority to move around committee. So that'll happen. It'll be a shakeup, um, you know, uh, and, and who knows who Murphy might appoint, you know, he's term limited. Uh, I don't know if if the governor is interested in being a senator, uh, but he could appoint himself even. Uh, and I'm just throwing that out as as one possibility. Um, there are other people, uh, other Democrats. Uh, Murphy is a Democrat, the governor of New Jersey, so it would be a Democrat uh, that he appointed. Um, but you know, those names haven't really surfaced yet. We're not quite to that point. Um, but you know, when the Senate comes back. Um, when the Senate comes back, uh, I believe they're in Tuesday for uh, Monday's the Yom Kippur uh, holiday. So when they get back Tuesday, Democratic senators are going to be asked about uh, Senator Menendez. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be, you know, this staunch defense like it was last time he was in trouble. Yeah, there you go. And on that wonderful note, we'll take another short break. And when we come back, much more. So stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly review of the news in Just Ask the Press. And uh, I guess, guys, uh, oh, joining me again, I'm sorry, uh, National Security national security Attorney, and of course, my favorite FOIA attorney, Mark Zade, joins us along with uh, our regular John Bennett. And before we go forward, we want to extend our, our our best wishes to uh, Michael Zeldin and his family. Michael has a, a, we won't go into great detail, but has a family emergency he's dealing with, so we wish him the best. Um but moving forward, guys, let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, you know, one thing that came up in the last few days, I, I we didn't talk about it in the rundown, but I cannot avoid talking about it. And that's Rupert Murdoch stepping down as the head of Fox. Uh, Mark, you think that'll have any real effect on what happens in Fox News? You know, it's it's funny how people were talking about him stepping down at, at 92. I guess his mom lived to be like 104. So <laughs> people were saying he's got more years left ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. But and he probably hope, hey, more power to him. Uh, and 
Maybe he should run for president uh, with his cognitive ability at 2092. <laughs> he can't because he's not he, he's a naturalized U.S. citizen, yeah. so he, he can't per the Constitution. But but nonetheless, might be a better candidate. But uh, now, uh, look, he, he handed it off to his one son. Uh, and uh, apparently uh, when when he does pass at whatever period of time and, you know, that that's a foregone conclusion at some point in time, he will pass, uh, you know, one year, five years, 10 years from now, whatever it might be. Uh, goes to the rest of his family. So uh, I don't I don't have any reason to believe uh, unless you guys know better. I don't, I don't research the Murdoch family that necessarily they're going to run any things any differently than the dad. Now, no. you know, generationally, uh, I guess the kids are probably what my age or so. Yeah. In the 50s. Yeah. 50s. Um, you know, they might have a different view on certain things than he does. But, you know, whatever one thinks of Murdoch and how his empire has impacted mostly probably in a bad way uh <laughs> the united states political system the guy has done an amazing job with respect to wealth growth and, and power uh you know somebody that i'm sure all the business schools are now teaching uh, all their students about how the guy turned a few hundred million dollars into multi billions Yes, he started out with nearly nothing, just a few hundred million. John, yeah. what's what's the impact been? I mean, you and I have been in the, I well, I've been why hell I even worked for Fox for a while at America's Most Wanted. So I mean, I know well what Fox's uh, uh, gift to the country has been. What do you what do you think? Uh, you think Lackland is his son has been uh, called even more fervent than him in some regards you you see much change coming from fox this is an interesting question i was on another podcast on friday and uh i was asked the question first there were two other uh journalists on and i took the position then that i didn't think much would change at fox because uh their approach and and how they treat information and present uh information sometimes it's not accurate information um and kind of twist things uh because it makes the murdoch family a lot of money so why would they change that was my and i don't know if that's my stance anymore my my colleagues um felt that things would change at fox and that this was an opening for the newsmaxes and and some of these other conservative networks and i hadn't i hadn't thought of that i'm still pondering uh whether i still agree with myself if that makes sense <laughs> um i, I I, I do, though, I, I keep coming back to the notion of, of why would they change um, what they're doing? Maybe maybe uh, the sun will, will kind of double down. Uh, sometimes, I mean, Newsmax is often comes over to me when I when I when I watch it. And I do try to watch some conservative media almost every day. I think it's important to understand uh, what yeah, they're putting too. out there and where they're coming from. You know, Newsmax feels to the right of Fox News a lot of the time, and certainly RBSN and, and those those outlets are. So maybe Fox moves um, uh, moves somehow more to the right. Um, sometimes it's hard to believe that they could. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm still pondering this one. I'm not sure. I, I Again, I just keep coming back to if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, the Murdochs are making a lot of money. They're not hiding it in their jackets, but, you know, they're, they're making a lot of money over there. <laughs> No, they're just giving out the gold bars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll fall on it this way. Look, having worked at America's Most Wanted and knowing what penchant for Fox is and and how they've been, I think the legacy of Fox News is disturbing for the American media scene. 
I, I think Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes and Ronald Reagan all contributed to the uh, divisive nature of journalism today. And I don't think that um, we're going to go away from that anytime soon. So whatever happens with Fox, it will still have a large foothold in the media environment. And the fact that it is streaming now and it's online a lot, I, I think all of that portends heavily to uh, leaning into, as you said, John, making as much money as possible. And making as much money as possible for many people is feeding into their own bias and not presenting facts as facts, but feeding into the bias that they already have. I don't see Fox abandoning that. It would be refreshing if they did, but I don't see that happening going forward, which leads us to something else I don't see uh, changing going forward. And that's how the other uh, members of the corporate media work. And we saw that last week when Donald Trump uh, was on Meet the Press. And um, we talked about that before a little bit last week before it happened but um that there were i after the fact they fact checked donald it's hard as hell to fact that check donald trump in the moment i mean if i've often said they go brian why don't you if, if i push back against donald trump an entire hour could be taken uh on one issue uh, or mm -hmm. one question because I, he's going to lie as soon as he opens his mouth, and you'd have to push back. And then the next, his next answer to that would be a lie, and you'd have to push back, and you would never get past that first question. So I do understand allowing sometimes it's allowing people the ability to speak their bullshit that best condemns them. That being said, there was a lot of criticism about Kristen Welker not pushing back hard enough against Donald Trump. Uh, in that Meet the Press uh, interview. And I'll start with you, Mark. What did you think of it coming out of it? You know, it's a double-edged sword. For one thing, you know, we all understand, and you guys are journalists, so you understand even better than I, but the notion of wanting to be, let's, since we come off of Fox, fair and balanced, right? And, and right. interviewing everyone, you know, including the most despised, I can't say the word. Despised? Well, despite despotic, is that the oh, word? Despotic, yes. Des despotic? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good word. You know, and I'm not saying Trump, but, you know, interviewing Idi Amin, interviewing Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, you know, over the years, you know, these people who'd be interviewed. But yet it doesn't seem like the mainstream media has forgotten how much they contributed to making President Trump the president of the United States in 2016 by giving him a platform more so than others. And the notion of having President Trump be the first person for Welker to interview on her taking the reins of Meet the Press, uh, I get it that it's a big deal. Uh, I get it that maybe it brought in higher viewership. But you know, I, I do think going to what your specific question was, anyone who interviews Trump, you come across, you generic, whoever the person is, as pushy as rude, uh, as aggressive, because you you need to. I mean, that's the only way to interview him because you need to fact check. But I don't, personally, I don't like it. I don't think it comes across as good journalism to be doing or acting that way. I don't like listening to it. I don't like watching it. And I almost think, you know, I rather had wished that they hadn't done it. I'm not sure 
they it's it's as if when when we take depositions as lawyers or trial testimony and everybody remembers back to a few good men in the moment when Tom Cruise breaks Jack Nicholson yeah. you know you can't handle the truth that just doesn't happen in real life <laughs> you know in 30 years of law practice i had it happen once in a deposition where i got an expert to literally reverse their finding and you know what the judge still ruled in favor of the other side <laughs> in that case so you know i don't know it's not like you're gonna catch president trump and oh yeah you're right i admit i just lied to you so uh no i don't i did not find the interview to be uh the high point of journalism no i i, I agree there john well, it's not like, you know, the, the criticism and, you know, you can criticize the interviews. Uh, it's easy to do, especially like Mark said, and I agree with everything he, that he said. But she did push back um, to the point that several times Trump said, stop interrupting me. You're interrupting me. Yes. So she did push back. Now, the problem with that, this is a tactic that Trump uses when he says you're interrupting me. Then human nature is the interviewer, because I've had people say that to me over the years you pull back. Okay, let me stop. But with Trump, what happens is I call it the Trump locomotive. He goes into locomotive and he's he's a he's a fully loaded locomotive and he's going downhill and the brakes are gone. And that's what happened in the interview. Yeah, he said, you're interrupting me twice. And I could see it because I've done it. I recognize it. She pulled back. You don't want to come over like that. She just got her big, you know, this big uh, show. Um, she's trying to bring it back ratings wise and everything. She didn't, you know, you don't want to come over as rude in your first big interview on your on your first day on the big show. And but the then the locomotive showed up and you can't stop the Trump locomotive when it gets started. Um, Brian, you and I have seen it. We, we saw it firsthand. We were in the you know, I remember uh, several days uh, press to the uh, palm room doors <laughs> and uh, off out to the Rose Garden we went, and here came the 45th president of these alleged United States. And, um, you know, 47 minutes later, we're all limping back to the press area, and, and our colleagues are, are staggering out to do stand-ups, our TV colleagues, trying to explain what the hell just happened because the locomotive got mad. Yeah. And wanted to go downhill on a Tuesday afternoon at 2.45. And sometimes <laughs> on the easiest questions. And Let's... you can't stop him. You can't stop him when he starts uh, like he did. And, you know, he got upset. She did get under his skin. Yeah. You know, and, but and that's easy to do, too. That's like easy said, to do, Sometimes too. it's just but, an easy question that'll get him there. But, but with him, you know... Sometimes our job is to get him going and 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 let him say the things that he says. And, you know, it, it'll be up to voters and it'll be up to juries because he said some things that could be problematic to his defenses once we he gets to these trials. Um, and, you know, sometimes that is our job is to just get him talking and ask him questions about some of these cases and the, and the 91 charges that he faces and and let the voters hear what he thinks about it or let the voters hear him basically say that he he didn't break any laws and right. that's important and voters need that information so the interview in that way i guess it was helpful in the sense that it it gave viewers an inside look because he'll take you right up here he'll take you right inside his head 
you know, people complain about the as it is. He will. Yes. People complained about the tweets. But I used to say we've got a direct line into the president of the United States and what he's thinking at any moment. And I I think there, there was value in the tweets. And I think there there is value in a sit down interview like that. Now, what voters do with the information is that's another else. story. Well, see, that's where I think we, um, you know, you make a great point there. It's what the voters do with it. I could criticize, and I don't think it was the best use of, I agree with Mark, I don't think it was the best use of time. I would have liked to, you know, and the question I asked the White House was, were you given the opportunity, was the hmm. president of the United States given the opportunity first? To be, it, never answered me, never answered me, and uh, which is telling in and of itself. If, yeah. if uh, the White House was given the first, uh, opportunity to speak and meet the press and turned it down. That says one thing about the presidency, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier about their inability to communicate with the American people. If they weren't given the opportunity to go first and they went for, and they opted for Donald Trump, that tells you everything about NBC and ratings, which is what I think, of course, it was all about. Kristen, I think, has been a good, uh, reporter in the white house i think she asked some good questions in the white yeah, house sure. and there have been times where i've taken a similar strategy i remember one time interviewing a member of nambla and all i did was ask him when when do you think it's okay for adults to have sex with underage children and the answer given to me the age of reason and then just letting them six years old they were fine five well maybe if they're five-year-olds cognitive i mean just Asking the question, which is the title of the show, I'll plug the show, just ask the question. I don't mind asking the question. You don't have to push back because it's the answers that ultimately are more important than the than the questions themselves. However, that being said, there is a segment of the of the populace who thinks that Donald Trump has had more than enough time and that we have we have contributed to his popularity by giving him way too much time compared to other politicians and other issues. And that is a fine line to walk. And I don't know that we ever have established a way to, to walk that walk. I, I think there are times simply because he is a ratings whore and he'll suck up all the, the, uh, the oxygen in a room and people will watch it to either agree with him fervently or to sit there and look at the screen and go, that stupid son of a bitch, I can't stand him. <laughs> that either way, he don't care. He just wants the attention. He's an attention whore, and we gave him more attention. So that I don't think helped us out any. And I, I so I, like I said, there the only real way to push back against Donald Trump when you interview him. I mean, come on. I asked him a very simple question: Win, lose, or draw, will you accept a peaceful transfer of power? We're still suffering through that answer to this day. Ninety-one felony charges and four jurisdictions and two impeachments later, and people still love the guy, even though he told us it, like you said, in it, you know, it comes straight from his mind. There's no, there's no filter. He said, "Well, if you stop counting the ballots, there won't be a transfer of power." That should have been all we needed to know, but it's still Donald Trump. So I, I, I don't know that there's an answer to it that satisfies everyone he is a candidate for office would i have handled that interview differently yes i would have I, i'll be the first to tell you i would have and uh, do i think there could have been more out of it yes i do 
Do I think it was an abomination? I don't think it was an abomination. I just think it it played into Donald Trump's hands like every time you put him on TV. So it is valid to ask whether or not we should with that. I, yeah, I, I just want to... Oh, it's a, I think it does put us in a bind because he moves the needle. And who else moves the needle right now? Maybe who else in the country moves the needle, you know, media wise or ratings wise right now, I can only think of one person that's Deion Sanders coach prime. Yeah, you that's, know? that's, that's well, the only and that's, that pisses me off about the president. John is <laughs> he doesn't get that. And his people don't do it. They let others suck up the oxygen in the room when they should. Right. I mean, well, yeah. And look at this week, look at this week. Uh, we, we know that the president's going on the road this week. Um, uh, you know, depending on how you feel about uh, organized labor, you know, he's he's going to go to Detroit and, and stand with uh, the auto workers who are striking there. And, and invited by them to do it. Right. So how is he, you know, usually presidents try to float a little closer to the middle so they can maybe help broker a deal or their people can help broker a deal. But I'm um, not sure how this White House is going to help that. But that's a whole other podcast. We can maybe focus on that <laughs> next week. Um um, so, so the president then is going to go out west to raise money, give some speeches. He's going to uh, go to Arizona and honor uh, his late friend, uh, the late Senator John McCain on Thursday. Uh, but, you know, is is this going to be another chance where he could be here making the case that House Republicans are going to shut down the government uh, because they don't like Kevin McCarthy and 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 talk about you know that dysfunction and how that's bad for the country. But, you know, when presidents go out west, they're kind of not and they're not engaged. So, um, you know, Joe Biden doesn't move the needle and, and they don't try to move the needle. And, and this oh. week is this week is going to be a good example of that, I think. Mark. You... <laughs> he shakes his head. I, I know how you feel. <laughs> I, I, I'm so disgusted by American politics uh, right now and how fractionalized, divisive and broken our system is um i you know the biden administration is trying was trying to restore or reinstate normalcy and bring it back to the way things used to be where you know it didn't matter if the president went out west during some of this because there would be others who could speak and move that dial uh for them but that's not how how things function any longer uh, like it or not and and i think most of us would say we don't like it uh, and trump wasn't the he didn't start it things were already going yep. very downhill uh for a variety of reasons uh, I'll, i've been in dc for 30 years um I, I, you know i'll say certainly in the last 20 25 years um i'm sure people can point to it uh, way back, I, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, uh, particularly gerrymandering, uh, yeah. and um, the what John was talking about earlier about the safe seats, and you know why why wouldn't someone who's MAGA right uh, talk about yeah let's shut down the government because that's what their constituency likes. So there's no reason for it. I mean, why would Nancy Mace make the comment she did when she's supposed to be this moderate and keeps going on CNN as one of their darling GOP talking heads uh, because she's in a safe seat and that's what she's being pushed to do. 
Um, you know, the notion that members, I remember having a, a dinner one night with a former member of Congress and we were talking about this and he was old school. He had been in the house back in like the sixties to the eighties and, you know, talking about what was different now. And the notion that, you know, transportation costs were so low that you, and the ease of transportation that you have to go back to your district when you're out from yeah. West or Midwest, whereas you used to stay here in DC uh, over the weekend instead. Uh, the internet, where now you can have virtual town halls, so you can always be connected to your district. The notion, quite frankly, that you have to be responsive to your constituents, which is you would think is a given, but the reality is you don't want to be responsible to all your constituents because most of your constituents are idiots. <laughs> uh, and you know whatever that percentage is, where, where you can't listen to those, you know, right? you need to make a decision as to what's best for your district uh, or the country while not paying attention to the loudest voices, because the loudest voices are not necessarily the best or the smartest. And that's unfortunately where we are in, you know, talking head television or uh, radio. It's, it's why whenever Rush Limbaugh made a comment that mentioned my name, I got more death threats. Uh, because yeah. of that type of audience. Um, but, you know, the, the problem is there, there's no solution uh, for, for any of these issues. Well, that's a very hopeful. A good hopeful. solution, I should say. I, well, participation, I think, is key because we live in a, a democracy where we consider a 50% voter turnout a good voter turnout, which only guarantees that a minority, a, a, a substantive cohesive minority which donald trump controls can get elected because you only need if 50 percent of the uh registered voters show up all you need is 25 percent, a quarter of those voters plus one to be a to get elected and that's I mean, right 2024 is going to be decided by three or four states that have been shifting back and forth uh they're, they're you know the the vast majority of us our vote is almost irrelevant yeah uh, because of where we live. It's just not going to make a difference. Uh, and there needs to be a fundamental shift to how we vote in the United States, the ease of voting in the United States, the, the be able to you know, uh, electronically vote, uh, online voting, if safeguards could be put in. And there's a lot of challenge to that. Uh, and, and fixing the gerrymandering so that you do have... Um, members of Congress that represent a more diverse group so that you cater to broader interests than just one. Uh, there's some talk about expanding the number of members of Congress because population-wise it's grown way too much. Members are representing too many people uh, right. and probably need to add more members in different states by way of population. Um, but this Congress is so... A Matt Gates run Congress is so dysfunctional. None of that will ever, ever happen to restore or maintain democracy the way we hope it to be or remember it being uh, going forward. Yeah. I, and, and you know, you and I talked about that, John, and, and Mark makes an interesting point. You he says three or four states. You you've often said it's going to be five or six states, and the rest of us are now screw blue and tattooed on the national level. But I always encourage people to show up and vote because it's also it's the local elections that 
eventually will determine sometimes yeah. uh, who the participants will be at the national level the next uh, cycle. But yeah, we're looking at still uh, it's those undecided voters and with uh, the latest polls showing that some of them are still skewing towards Donnie. Yeah, I used to say on here uh, six to eight states, but, you know, it might be more accurate to say four or six. Um, and that's that's certainly not the um, representative republic that, um, you know, we're supposed to have. So, you know, and the polls um, today, there's an I think the NBC polls uh, new and out today. Trump's lead can just continues to grow. And I think that's. Uh, that's that's just this sense of inevitability that's setting in on the Republican side. Um, you know, why bother taking a, a third look or a second look at Nikki Haley or, or Senator Tim Scott or Vice President Pence or or Chris Christie when, you know, you know, Trump's going to win anyway. So I'll just I'll just support him in the primary. Um, you know, his lead is <laughs> what, 40, 50 points, depending on the poll you look at people. Because Republicans, um, they're not they're not concerned about the charges, which I think is concerning uh, in itself. You know, they think the charges are made up or Trump didn't do anything wrong or it wasn't that bad or or they believe, you know, what he says on Meet the Press or Truth Social or when he calls into, you know, some radio show. Um, and, and, and that's starting to show up in the polling when they ask about the charges some of the things and this is vintage trump if you say it enough times his supporters will start to repeat it regurgitate it and that's starting to happen you see that inside these polls when you dive in and you know that's going to continue um he's not even he's not even really running yet he's doing right. some things you know he's he's in iowa you know every other week but he's not like some of these other candidates he's not there every day right now but when he is and when when he decides to really start running, um, you know, that's even more coverage. And 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 this is going to set in with voters. The question is, and so far, I don't I don't see it. But the question then becomes the things that he's saying about all these charges and, and what he did and didn't do or if it's illegal will be independence in those four or six states. W will they start to think, oh, well. Trump's got a point or I had, and this is interesting too. Well, was it that bad? Maybe Trump's got a point that, that it wasn't illegal and I had more money in my pocket and things weren't yeah. so damn expensive when Trump was in and eh, so what? He took some papers to Mar-a-Lago. I had more money. So maybe I'll vote for Trump. If he can get independence to think that way, well, then he's got a real shot. I, he's got a shot now, but if he can get those independent voters in four to six days to think that way, Joe Biden's got some uh, got some got, might might be in big trouble. Yes, we all are on on that hopeful note. <laughs> That's me. I'm here to spread hope, Brad. <laughs> I'll give you guys both a chance to to plug where we can catch you before we uh, round up the end of the uh, thing. John, where 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 can we uh, find you and and what would you like to plug? Uh, you can find me every Friday at rollcall.com, weekly column, and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, CQ Afternoon Briefing, subscribe today. And Mark, once once again, thanks for joining us on short notice today and providing excellent insight as always. 
We love having you around. Thanks. But where can we, where can we plug you? Sure. Well, I guess I'm pr predominantly on Twitter slash X at Mark S Zade E S Q, although I don't want to be there. So I'm not <laughs> even quite sure I want you to find me there. Uh, I am now thankfully on blue sky. Thanks to you, Brian at Mark Zade E S Q uh, as well, I suppose. And, and I am also on threads. Uh, and since it's tied to my Instagram account, I think it's, I am spy attorney, uh, A-T-T-N-Y, because that, that was what I had created for my personal account without thinking much of it, uh, without realizing that would be stuck with me forever or, or any other account. Um, so I'm on that as well. And hopefully one of those platforms will will take, will gain greater prominence so we can have a, a more civil discourse than we do on X now. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is I always preach about, you know, I like breaking up media monopoly. So on on one hand, I kind of like that, that whether he wanted to or not, Elon Musk has helped to break up the monopoly that was Twitter. And now I am on five platforms and you can find me on Post, Threads, wow. uh, Blue Sky, Spoutable, and X or Twitter, and it's all at Brian Karam, except like you, I got stuck on my Instagram thing. So it's at Brian J. Karam on, on uh, threads. But yeah, I, I don't know whether to be thankful or angry at at, at uh, Musk. And I guess I'll be both because I think he destroyed a wonderful town hall place to gather. But at the same time, now he doesn't hold, you know, it's it's not the uh, the monopoly on social media that it once was. So it, the good and the bad and and musk's case the very ugly so uh and the name of this uh, uh podcast is just ask the question you can catch me also on salon.com uh every thursday with a column or in the white house asking questions uh and and uh being ignored because that's the way all of us are i i have to tell you john watching people ask questions in the briefing room last week when i wasn't there was just horrible and how damn dumb some of them were but that's another story we could do a whole whole damn broadcast on that this is just ask the question i am your host brian karam thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time